Hey everyone, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Zach. This is my indecisive wife, Krista. As proof of the indecisiveness to clear our studio today, I had to move a literal mountain of Sunday clothes, all of which she had tried on, looked at in the mirror, and then discarded in order to pick one to wear to church today. Slight exaggeration. There were past days clothes in that pile, it was a... and that's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> so, But we're excited to be with you. We, we have been so humbled, I think is the word we decided on it, how many people have been so kind to us. Um, have given us really generous feedback on the podcast, have reached out and... uh, Given insights to some of the stuff that we've asked questions about, which is really great. So thank you so much. It means a lot to us to know that what we're doing makes a difference, that it's helping you with your personal study. Um, And we would welcome any more comments, feedback, questions. Uh, It really helps us to kind of aim what we're doing uh, to help people as much as we can. And I should say that I apologize to anyone that I turn red to if you tell me that you've listened to the podcast. I'm still getting used to the fact that people are actually listening to this, but we were talking with it about some friends and I said, oh, so you've actually listened to it. And someone commented, um, if you put it on the internet, probably people are going to listen. So I'm still getting used to that. But um, anyway, we're, we're grateful you're here. And we're just going to dive in first off with our study tip, which is one that I'm very passionate about because I have experienced it. And the study tip is to learn the scriptures from other people. I was in a real slump with my scripture study, and I turned to to listen to some other people tell about the scriptures. Elder Holland does it um, often in in his conference talks, and there's a lot of other general authorities that do it in their in their conference talks and they can be so uplifting and so inspiring and for me it happened that it gave me just what I needed to then go back to the scriptures and get back into my own insights kind of gives you a springboard into your own study yeah and they, they teach so powerfully too mm-hmm. I think you can find a lot of great talks that way so if you had a slump turn on your general conference uh, sessions listen to them and see if that rejuvenates find some your study. scripture stories that they're telling about yeah. and you'll be inspired for sure Okay, well, today's blog, this is episode eight, and the block is 2 Nephi 6 through 10. This is a big block of scripture. This is Jacob, Nephi's younger brother, who has been consecrated a priest over the people. And he's kind of giving a general conference talk of his own. He mentions that he's giving this talk to the people at Nephi's request. He's going to quote quite a few chapters of Isaiah. If you want some fanfare for Isaiah, go back a couple of episodes and listen to our episode uh, on 1 Nephi, I think it was 20 through 22 on the Isaiah chapters. And we've got some more Isaiah chapters coming up. But he's going to read a little bit of Isaiah and then teach people. There's so much in here we could study, and so we had to pick something, and this is what we decided on. In 2 Nephi 9, verse 4, Jacob says to the people, I know that you have searched much, many of you, to know of things to come. Wherefore, I know that you know that our flesh must waste away and die. Nevertheless, in our bodies we shall see God. In other words, the thing that the people he's teaching are most concerned about or interested in is final judgment. 
they know that they're going to be resurrected and will have to stand before God to be judged of their actions. And it creates in them a, almost an anxiety. At the beginning of 2 Nephi 6, uh, Jacob says, this is verse 2, that he's been called and ordained. Uh, and then verse 3, I am desirous for the welfare of your souls. My anxiety is great for you. And you yourselves know that it has ever been. I think we can relate to this. I remember sitting in a seminary class, in my seminary class as a youth, and looking at the depiction of the plan of salvation on the wall and seeing the celestial, terrestrial, telestial kingdoms depicted there, right? The celestial kingdom being the place where God is, where Jesus is, and where the righteous dwell. And in my teenage mind, I organized it as a best okay and not so okay kingdoms. So I looked at the celestial kingdom and thought, okay, I get it. That's where the best go. That's where prophets and apostles and the seminary council go. The terrestrial kingdom must be for those who are kind of just outside of that elite top group and the telestial kingdoms for everyone else. And so I looked at that and I honestly thought, I'm probably telestial kingdom material, maybe terrestrial kingdom. I have since polled students, teenagers, and ask them where they think they will end up in final judgment. The celestial kingdom is never the top answer. It's usually a toss-up between the terrestrial kingdom or the telestial kingdom. And so I think this is something we can relate to, the feeling of, am I good enough? When I stand in front of God, am I going to feel horrible? Am I going to Am I going to hate that final judgment moment? And, you know, I think we should point out that some of those feelings are good. Hmm. I think some of that fear... Um, and maybe we'll say guilt, because I know the, the quote from Elder Bednar, where he says, guilt is to our spirit what pain is to our body, a warning of danger and protection from additional damage. And, you know, he's talking about a guilt, not the shame or some of those other words associated with guilt, but that, that feeling that God gives us to step up and maybe do a little better. Yeah, there's a sense of accountability. The scriptures use the word fear all the time, right? We should work out our salvation with fear and trembling before God. So mm -hmm. so the, the, the question we're not asking is, how do you get rid of those feelings? How do you make it so that we don't worry at all about final judgment? Because I think we're supposed to a little bit. But the question might be this, what principles does Jacob teach that make it so that judgment, final judgment, is something we actually look forward to? something that we're excited about. The prospect of meeting God again brings us joy and happiness. And I think there are some really powerful things that Jacob teaches that can help us feel a little bit better about ourselves and a whole lot better about God. So we're going to talk about, in this episode, three things that we underestimate about God. But I think it's important that we bring up something that Jacob teaches about how we often overestimate ourselves, and maybe inflate our ability rather than rely on the Savior. So here he says, chapter 9, verse 28, Oh, that cunning plan of the evil, evil one. So maybe that's the first thing here, is let's not forget that as we, as we seek God, that we need to remember that Satan is present and that he's working on us and even be aware of the way that he works on us. That he's cunning and that he's powerful and mm -hmm. attacking us. 
And so how we overestimate ourselves, often the way Satan works on us, is through worldly things, the vainness and the frailties, the foolishness of men, that they're learned is good, but not if you're not hearkening to the counsel of God. Woe unto the rich, who are rich as to the things of the world. These things that we're, maybe we're, we're doing too much of, mm-hmm. I guess, instead of remembering who really gave them to us. Woe, some of my favorites down here, woe unto the deaf that will not hear. So there's, there's good things being taught to them, but they choose to turn off their ears. And the same thing with the blind that will not see for they shall perish also. So he's warning us to be aware of those things as we search for the goodness and greatness with, of God. Yeah. I don't know if there's anyone I know that, that brags about being able to do X, Y, and Z and, and displays their pride that way. But I do know from my own experience what it feels like to think that I am enough to conquer a sin or to overcome a trial, that I don't need someone else's help. Um, maybe it's something I've been dealing with for a long time, or maybe it's something I feel I'm able to do on my own. But those verses really strike at the heart of that. Oh, the vainness and the frailty and the foolishness of men. When they're learned, they think they're wise and they hearken not to the counsel of God. So if that's what we overestimate about ourselves, I think the three truths that we're going to focus on uh, that will help us feel more comfortable in God's presence that will better prepare us for judgment are three things that we underestimate about him. And the first one is this. We mentioned this in a previous episode that Nephi has a favorite scripture. Uh, And as proof of that, Jacob quotes this same scripture. So this is chapter 6, 2 Nephi 6, verse 17. This is Jacob quoting Isaiah. So you ever want to know a good scripture? You find a prophet who's quoting a prophet who's quoting a prophet. This is Jacob (laughs) quoting Nephi who's quoting Isaiah. And verse 17, thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered for the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. The first thing we underestimate about God is how powerful he is. The other side of the page, this is chapter seven, verse two, Isaiah, Jacob quoting Isaiah, asks the second of two questions. He says, In the middle of the verse, O house of Israel, is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness and their fish distinct because the waters are dried up and they die because of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. Uh, In chapter 8, verse 9, get ready to listen to a lot. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, art thou not he that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not he who hath dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return, and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy and holiness shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I am he." Yea, I am he that comforteth you. Behold, who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of man who should die, and of the son of man who should be made like unto grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundation of the earth. In other words, do you get how powerful God is? Isaiah's purpose, and then Jacob's purpose, is to say, 
God is incredibly powerful. This is the being that created the heavens. And if he's so powerful and can make so many great and incredible things, isn't it logical to assume that he can do incredible things with you? I'm always fond of saying, um, God's pretty good at getting what he wants. Of course, he can't violate agency. He can't force people to do something they don't want to do. But if you want to be with God and his ultimate desire is for you to be with him, my guess is he's probably going to get what he wants because he's so powerful, because he is mighty to save. So don't underestimate how powerful God is. You may not be powerful enough to overcome your sins or your trials alone, but God certainly is. And just, you know, there's a few verses throughout these this scripture block that we're talking about today that talk about put again putting on that armor and i think who better whose armor would we rather have on than his mm-hmm. this he's mighty to save us he wants to save us put on his strength the second thing we underestimate about god is his mercy i mentioned that in second nephi 7 jacob or isaiah asks two questions we read the second question well the first question is found in verse 1 Thus saith the Lord, Have I put thee away, or have I cast thee off forever? For thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? To whom have I put thee away? Or to which of my creditors have I sold you? In other words, it's almost one of those sarcastic Isaiah things where he's saying, You think that I've put you away? Show me the bill of divorcement. Show me the bill of sale where I sold you to someone. You can't find it because I haven't done it. I would never cast you away. I would never sell you. No matter what you've done, I would never get rid of you. Um, Before we get to that chapter, in chapter 6, Jacob, quoting some other Isaiah verses, proves this point by illustrating this. This is chapter 6, verse 9, where Jacob prophesies of the future that the Son of God will come, the Holy One of Israel, He's going to manifest himself in the flesh and that the people he's manifesting himself to are going to scourge him and crucify him. They're going to, uh, verse 10, have hard hearts and stiff necks and turn aside from the Holy One of Israel. And then verse 11, perhaps one of my favorite words in that verse comes in the middle. After they're driven to and fro, the people that scourge the Savior are afflicted in the flesh Um, and shall not be suffered to perish because of the prayers of the faithful. They shall be scattered and smitten and hated. Nevertheless, the Lord will be merciful unto them. And when they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, they shall be gathered together again in the lands of their inheritance. I looked up that word nevertheless just to make sure I was understanding exactly what it was saying. And in English, at least, the word nevertheless means without regard to, meaning It doesn't matter. Even these people that have done such horrible things to the Holy One of Israel, even they will be rescued and saved because God is merciful. We mentioned Elder Holland before, and one of my favorite quotes that he said is that surely the thing God must love most about being God is being merciful, especially to those who don't feel they deserve it. I think sometimes we forget that that God is merciful and that he's loving and that he has no more desire to cast us off and put us away than we do with our own children that we love and adore. Which is maybe why I'm so glad I get to talk about this next point. I think sometimes we underestimate 
his great goodness. He is good. And I love how Jacob teaches that um, all throughout these chapters, but particularly I'm going to read a few verses here in 2 Nephi chapter 9. Oh, how great the goodness of our God, who prepareth the way for our escape from the grasp of the awful monster. Um, again, what we talked about before, he's so good, he wants to deliver us from what Satan is trying to tell us. Um, in chapter 13, oh, how great the plan of our God. His plan is so good. He is good. Being with God is good. Verse 14, wherefore, we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanness and our nakedness, which sounds a little scary, but like we said before, let's think of guilt in a positive way. It's nudges to do better and to be better that because he is so good. He wants us to be with him, even though we are sometimes not good and we're not perfect. And the rest of that verse. Yeah. Have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment. Oh, it gets even better. Yeah. This is the good part. Have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteousness, being clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. That just sounds good. Yeah. I think Jake is making that point here. And he repeats that, oh, how great, oh, how good, oh, how great, all throughout Second Nephi 9. Almost as if he's trying to remind the people he's teaching and remind us, this is worth it. God is really, really good. And wouldn't you want to spend time? Wouldn't you want to spend eternity with someone whose sole purpose is your benefit and whose sole emotion is love and concern and compassion for his children? Sounds like a good way and a good person to spend time with. And just a good prophet to follow because he gets that. Mm -hmm. I just love the way I love these next and next few chapters too and next episode i love the joy that you feel from these prophets who have experienced the great goodness of god and you know we talked about maybe getting some feedback and some um some insights that other people had and i had a friend and shout out to kim <laughs> but i loved what she said you know in our when we talked about getting to the tree i mentioned you know, falling on my knees in gratitude that I made it. And her point was that I just loved was um, that she feels like she'll probably fall on her knees because she's wearing herself out. It's hard, but it's so good. Um, she said, I want to be exhausted from doing good because the things that we're doing are hard, but they're good. And he wants us to feel and do those good things. And, you know, it can, it, it tires us out, but. It makes me think of uh, my mission president said that one of the things he wanted his missionaries to be at the end of their mission was exactly that. He wanted them to walk off the plane and be exhausted from having talked so much and walked so much and shared so much, having shared so much goodness with other people. And so I like that, that God is so good, it's worth it, and it takes time, and it takes effort to get there. Mm -hmm. So, three points. Well, sub-point, don't overestimate yourself. Don't go it alone. Don't try and overcome your own sins. That's why we have a God, and that's why we have a Savior, and that's why we have each other. But the three points that maybe help judgment seem like less of a scary event and more something we can look forward to with excitement and joy. Number one... Don't underestimate God's power. Number two, don't underestimate God's mercy. And three, don't underestimate how good God is and how good it is to be with him. In chapter 10, 
Jacob concludes with a couple of my favorite verses from this block. This is verse 20. And now, my beloved brethren, seeing that our merciful God has given us so great knowledge concerning these things, let us remember him and lay aside our sins and not hang down our heads, for we are not cast off. Verse 23, cheer up your hearts and remember that you are free to act for yourselves, to choose the way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life. I love the truth that we are free to choose eternal life because God is powerful, because God is merciful, and because he's so good, we are free to choose being with him. Of course, it's a daily choice. Of course, it's a choice that uh, requires our effort so that when we get to the tree, we're going to fall down on our knees out of exhaustion, but also out of sheer joy that we're there and that we're with God. And now to end with our teaching tip for today, trust the scriptures and trust the word. Meaning sometimes we can let things get in the way of the scriptures. Sometimes that's a lot of things. Sometimes we over-prepare. That's probably my problem. We over-prepare and maybe we get confused when we can just get straight to the word and trust what's there. Maybe it's an object lesson. Maybe it's who knows what. But I think we can maybe take an example from the, from these chapters where Jacob and Nephi don't, don't mince words. They're like, Isaiah is saying it great. Let's just quote him. Mm. Let's let the scriptures teach, teach what, let's just teach from God's word. I was in uh, a couple of classes this week and great classes with, um, with power and fun and excitement. Uh, there was a really fun, cool object lesson in one of these classes, and, and the students that were there really got into it. The only part that made me pause a little bit was students learned a great truth, but they learned it from an object lesson. And it made me think, how often do we try and do that in our lesson? We know that object lessons are powerful. We know that personal stories are powerful. We know that Mormon messages are powerful. But it's almost as if we don't believe that the scriptures are powerful. So in teaching, design your lesson in such a way that the most powerful part of the lesson is the scriptures, because the scriptures testify of Christ, and the scriptures are something about which the Spirit can bear His witness to our hearts. It's a little bit harder to do that about an object lesson or about a personal story. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening today. We also wanted to let you know that we did change our our feed over to a new website so we you can find us we have a little website that you can listen from there and maybe just subscribe so you make sure that you get updated we're still going but some of the feeds may not switch over and update if you want our website scripturestudyproject.podbean.com we're always available via email scripturestudyproject at gmail.com or on instagram krista joe horton millennial.mormon thanks